Welcome to the latest Vinyl and Celluloid podcast episode. If you're anything like me, you'll need to take a bit of time before you answer the question, what's your favorite movie? Or what are your favorite top 5 movies or even top 10? The answer to the question, what's your favorite horror franchise, is much more straightforward, at least for me. One of my first memories of watching a horror movie and actually enjoying it was when I first watched Friday the 13th. The franchise turned 40 last year, and much like its leading character Jason Voorhees has been dormant for 12 years. Well, today I'm joined by my guest Liam, also known as I Know What You Did Last Midsommar, to resurrect the franchise, Tommy Jarvis style. We'll discuss our favorite scenes, characters, and even covered that 1980s slasher anomaly known as Ted from Friday the 13th, Part 2. So stick around for this one. So Liam, thank you once again for agreeing to be a guest on this uh, podcast. Uh, for all your listeners out there, we're joined today with, with Liam uh, in Australia, um, and we're here to discuss the merits of the most underrated horror movie ever made, Halloween Resurrection. I believe Liam will... Ag- <laughs> uh, Sorry, I, 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 I had to go there, Liam. Uh, no, we're here to discuss Friday the 13th, the franchise. This is a private joke because... Uh, this is, um, Liam and I both share Halloween Resurrection as a favorite punching bag, uh, and I think the horror community overall, right? Oh, yeah, <laughs> they, yeah but they don't it appreciate. does have its fans, so every once in a while, I, I, I get it. I, I've tried over the years to watch this movie and go, okay, this is a guilty pleasure. Like, this is a movie that some people can just look at and go, all right, I'm not going to take this too seriously, I'm just going to have fun with it. I, I've tried and I just can't do it. You, I, I'll probably it, keep it, trying. It's impossible. Uh, it's just yeah. Uh, yeah it's <laughs> something. It's so, something. so 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 guys, this is a perfect segue for Liam to introduce himself. But if you do have a chance and you're interested in seeing the amazing memes he creates and even just reshares from time to time on Halloween Resurrection, he's the guy to follow. Liam, it's over to you to for a brief intro, how you got into horror movies, your all-time favorite, and, I mean, your overall view on slashers. Yeah, man. Um, how I got into them, Jesus. Um, my neighbors, uh, in my family, both my mother and my father, they did not like horror movies. We did not grow up with any of that in our house. <laughs> so um, I was over at a neighbor's house one day and they were watching an American werewolf in London. And I remember mm-hmm. being both visibly shaken, but also just, it, it was just like the most fun thing I'd ever seen in my life. Like I, I'm terrified, but at the same time, I can't take my eyes off the screen. It's just, it was just the greatest thing ever. And then they followed that up with, because um, they were huge, huge horror fans, like a lot of the classic stuff. So Nightmare on Elm Street was their favorite. So mm-hmm. we went through them. We went through, um, yeah, I know what you did last summer. And then that <laughs> went over to Scream. And yeah, I just ended up knocking like, all of these out within like, I don't know, a year or so. Um, I was about 10 at the time. Mm. So yeah, um, the one I discovered them, it was just... Uh, my family are not horror fans. I'm like the the one oddball in the entire family. The just, outlier. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Like my family just doesn't. It's just not for them, basically. But 
I just couldn't get enough of these. My favorite one, um, I have two. So I have two. Okay. This is my issue. So I go back and forth on them. Um, so it's Black Christmas, 1974, mm-hmm. and um, Candyman, the first Candyman movie. Mm-hmm. It used to be Halloween, wow. but yeah, those two eventually yeah. just took over. <laughs> That's that's really cool. I mean, um, I, I guess I started, and the reason why also I know Halloween is uh, definitely your favorite franchise, uh, if, if I'm correct, from the ones like the big three, like A Nightmare on Elm Street, Friday, and uh, Halloween. And it's good always to have, I guess, a discussion with someone who's also not always going to agree with you because they're also into Friday the 13th. I, I guess with me, I started as well. My family, they, they're they not into horror movies. I recall my dad saying that one time he was actually on a plane and they were screening Child's Play, which, I mean, I still think he got it mixed up because, I don't know, it's Europe, but still he was flying, I don't know where, but he said, oh, Child's Play was on it. I highly doubt it, but I, I always questioned him on that. But he, like, obviously they they were born in the 60s, so I guess they were all up with uh, The Exorcist and Carrie. It was relatively new when they came out, when, when, when it came out. And, um, and they never really, they never encouraged, like, uh, any kind of, like, horror movie, like, enthusiasm. And then, slowly but surely, I started recording on VHS on cable, yes, I'm 30, and, uh, you know, watching, like, uh, almost halfway through, just like, oh, my parents aren't home, and, and watching Child's Play and Carrie and The Exorcist, and um, obviously Friday the 13th uh, was was quite big, because for a long time, it was the only the only franchise you could actually rent this was before Netflix, before everything was available. It was the only th- the only franchise you could actually rent on DVD and even VHS. So for me, it was kind of like there's no other option, right? Um, and I I got Halloween on DVD, the first one when I was probably twelve or something. But that was pretty much it. Then it, I only watched the remaining movies years later. And by that time, I I had already seen most of Friday the Thirteenth. Uh, and then obviously Scream and all the 90s slashers, I, I kind of grew up with that. But uh, Friday the 13th was always my favorite one. And now I find myself driven into the less known. And actually I'm hoping to record another episode with the more obscure slasher titles. And I just recently seen Motel Hell. <laughs> uh, which was... I've got my feed like crazy. I've had so many people recommend yeah. it. Yeah, I mean, it, it is, I mean, the reviews were amazing, it managed to land, like, number one spot at the box office, and it's actually quite a good movie, it's 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 quite impressive, and, and the reviews were really, like, from people that usually trashed all the movies, uh, Motel Hell was, was very well received. I know Toby Hooper said that um, he got a lot of inspiration for that, for Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2, um, mm-hmm. and the clips I've seen yeah. of Motel Hell, I can just see that immediately like it just looks like one of those really fun just unapologetically goofy movies but not in um none of the halloween resurrection kind of a sense just one yeah no 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 races it and just yeah i guess doesn't try to spit on its audience i guess yeah 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 I guess you're absolutely right, and I mean, definitely, I've I also recently watched Curtains for the first time, and I really enjoyed it. I loved. I Good just Canadian. saw that for the first time recently as well. Yeah. Um, 
Oh man, I couldn't believe I hadn't seen that. That movie is genuinely creepy. Like there are certain, there are certain eighty slasher movies. Like The Prowler is another one. But yeah. Like the mask in particular. That scene where the girl gets attacked on um, uh, when she's ice skating. That was just yeah. ter- that was just terrifying. Like, I genuinely yeah. felt chills all down my back, and it's very rare I get that now. But that's one yeah. of the movies that managed to do it. Yeah, I mean, it was. Um, I, I felt exactly the same, and I know the exact sequence you're talking about. Uh, it's still fresh in my mind. Um, yeah, and I'm slowly like, whenever I have the time, you know, dig into one of the more obscure entries or the, the lesser known entries. And um, I think I watched recently something. Oh yeah, Life Force. That's not a slasher, but uh, like you, you mentioned, Toby Hooper, and I was watching his movies with Canon. So Texas Chainsaw Massacre two. Life Force and Invaders from Mars, and I was like, Life Force was just a bit too much uh, for me to cope with, and I was like, how the mighty have fallen, and I don't think I'm gonna watch Eaten Alive. I was a bit put off. It's one of those Toby Hooper movies that uh, it's, it's, it's mentioned quite a lot as a follow-up to Texas Chainsaw Massacre 1, but I, I don't think I'll ever gonna watch it. Oh, wow, Not I had sure. no idea that he did sort of a follow-up to it. Um... I've been going through the Oh, no, 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 no. Follow-up, as in the movie he made after, like, three years later, in 77. like, I sort of exist in the same universe. No, 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 no. I've been so many of those movies lately to films that I had no... Like, Argento, he's one I'm going through at the moment, and I only just found out recently, Suspiria, there's... It's the first part of, like, a trilogy. Yeah. What was it, the three months? An official trilogy, The Three Witches... Yeah, and I yeah, had no idea right. that um, there were two more. Um, I just got done with Inferno. Yeah. I haven't seen Mother of Tears yet. Um, I'm committed to watching it, but uh, I haven't <laughs> really heard that many good things about it. But yeah, at this point, like, I've come too far to just um, stop. But for the most yeah. part, yeah, I'm experiencing the same thing with him. Um, I'm on his 90s stuff at the moment, and it's very different to what he was creating, you know, in the seventies and in the eighties. It's, um, uh, the Stenhouse syndrome in particular, it was much grittier and much more brutal than what I was expecting. Um, Mm -hmm. it was not something I would have ever expected to have seen from him. Um, in some ways I really did admire the movie for that, but yeah, it was a pretty tough watch, but, um, I've heard after sleep place, that's when it really starts to dip in quality. Uh huh. Uh huh. Yeah, uh, I, I was just thinking that I'm not familiar at all with his 90s stuff. Um, there is a movie I've been meaning to watch for a long time, and that's, again, because of, you know, when he used to go to, not Blockbuster, but the more independent rental places, uh, there was this VHS with a creepy cover of Opera, you know, with the tooth, with the, the little things around the eyes, and I recall seeing that, and I, one day, Pedro, one day you're going to see it. And uh, it's it's been it's been sitting on my list idly uh, as I go through other stuff, but uh, it's it's on the list definitely. I had that same reaction to it. Um, just for years and years, uh, that image of the needles under her yeah, eyes. The needles. I, I yeah. would just see that. I think it did the rounds on YouTube, like in the very early days of YouTube, like um, the Exorcist three, um, like the nurses station. Oh, the, the 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 decapitation. Yeah. Yeah. That, yeah. That was just sort of like a staple of, you know, say you type in creepy scene. That was usually one of the ones that came up. And yeah, the needles under the eyes, like that was another one. And for years cool. and years, yeah. I didn't actually know what the name was. I just typed in needles 
under the eyes into Google, and like that was pretty much the first result. Um, yeah, it's not. Um, I would dare say, I'm probably committing sacrilege when I say this. <laughs> it might be my favorite Argento movie. I'm going back and forth between that and Deep Red at the moment, but okay. yeah, that that was when he really began to drift from some more um, a more serious sort of uh, horror film as opposed to like more fantasy. Like, um, yeah. how, how Phenomena and Suspiria and all that, they've got a very Snow White yeah, yeah, yeah. to them. Yeah, he loses mm-hmm. that eventually. And I know Opera is... Closer really to, to the Giallo genre. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. And it isn't really um, regarded highly amongst, you know, his diehard fans, but I, don't know, I, I loved it. I will, I will have to, uh, yeah, definitely have to watch it because of like the memory of the the VHS cover. So Liam, um, let's dive into what brought us here today, Friday the Thirteenth. I mean, we will go over each movie like we we discussed, and we'll start. We'll take a trip back to 1980 with the original one, Friday the Thirteenth. I mean, your thoughts on this one, the first entry. Uh, my current thoughts, I've I got to say, this is Jumps are probably my favorite out of all the films. And yeah. it's it's really funny because I was very much, um, I was pro part two for a very, mm-hmm. very long time. And um, <laughs> yeah. for whatever reason, as a kid, I just didn't really highly regard the first one. I, I couldn't even tell you why. It was just, it was never the one that I jumped to. But watching it now, I, I, I don't think I appreciated a lot of, like the really solid atmosphere that is in this movie, like especially when the storm hits and um, you mm-hmm. know everyone sort of um, diverts to different cabins and you know you're wondering you know where is you know the killer going to be, like who's going to get it yeah. next, and I I think it's kind of trashed by certain people, especially Halloween fans, as being nothing mm-hmm. more than you know kind of a cheap knockoff, like Siskel and Ebert if um. If you're familiar yeah. with them, you know, they pretty much just trash yes. every slasher film after Halloween. And, and, and they loved Motel Hell. Exactly. Yes. Exactly. Four stars out of four. Yeah, same here. <laughs> and with Friday the 13th, I don't know. I just think it's a very quality movie. I think it really stands out like out of like the big name franchises. I think this one deserves to stand out. It's just it's just a solid little movie. Like, um yeah i mean the killer in particular like what really struck me this time is betty palmer's performance as mrs Voorhees. she is genuinely chilling and one thing i noticed when she appears on screen for the first time she's not playing it crazy like she's playing it very endearing and very like she's sympathetic yeah. and you're very nurturing yeah and it's almost as mm-hmm. if this other side slowly begins to kick in and yeah. Yeah, it's like two different kinds of people and she just plays it so beautifully and it's just such a terrifying performance like, very very underrated I, 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 listen I, I completely agree well let's start with your last point the, the Betsy Palmer performance she was nominated for a Razzie <laughs> Best, worst supporting actress 1980 and, and I think well we're talking about the same people that also uh, trashed uh, a, a lot of great soundtracks including Ennio Morricone's work in The Thing right as the worst soundtrack of the year so th- they don't know better no, uh, but, the, but the, the, the thing is I, I think yeah Betsy Palmer like when where there was room for over the top and uh, even campy uh, performance, she she delivers and it's very effective. And I think the cast, um, 
well, first of all, we need to see it for what it is. It was the first time you had a major studio backing up something that was usually left to the independents with great results. So it, it is, um, it was uh, like something, something major to happen, the, the first one. And I think it owes a bit more to Psycho and uh, Jello than necessarily Halloween. Obviously, it takes the templates of um, and the blueprints that have been established throughout the 1970s but I think the 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 first one is is quite effective and it tried to push the boundaries and it tried to just go look at all this score that you didn't see in Halloween it's still quite tame mind you um, but uh, it's it's still uh, it's it's a good movie but I'm afraid I'm Team Part 2, especially because that was actually the first movie I've ever seen uh, of the whole franchise. So, um, yeah, see? So I guess that was the effect. I mean, for me, it's it's a 3 out of 5 uh, within the franchise. And, and that's simply not because Friday the 13th is not uh, a good movie, but because I see other entries as more effective. But I think this one really sets out uh, the whole... Theme. And I think the good thing about Friday the 13th is that you think Halloween immediately you go to uh, John Carpenter's classic and it's great. And then the sequels, eh, okay, sometimes they get better, sometimes worse, but they never captured the original. A Nightmare on Elm Street? Yeah, Freddy Vault from the silent John Wayne type of guy to uh, the wisecracking asshole in, um, in part 3 and 4. Um, but again, the original, if you ignore that ending where she's sucked into by the window, or through the window, uh, that, that's a bit tra trashy. But um, if you ignore that, um, I think um, it's, still, it's still the original, it's still the one to beat. And with Friday the 13th, the original was good, but it got better, so there was room for improvement. And I think that's what made the franchise for me... Um, it, it makes it a great entry, but also to see the evolution. I don't know if you agree as a Halloween fan that, like, the original, it's, is it the, the best in your opinion? Or do you um, think H2O? <laughs> uh, I think with Halloween over the years, I wouldn't say it's diminished in quality for me, but I'm recognizing that a lot of this, like, some of the sequels... Um, you know, part two, part three, four, H2O, mm -hmm. um, and even the 2018 film, um, all of them have really, really strong qualities. And mm -hmm. I sort of, uh, I, I apply that to Friday the 13th as well, um, particularly parts one, two, four, and six. Uh, yeah. None of them are really the same movie. Um, each of them have their own sort of flavor to it. Like the first four, um, you could watch them like, just back to back and it's very seamless but mm -hmm. I, I think with the introduction of Jason in the sequel in particular it just gave part two especially um, a different kind of flavor there was some there was an intensity to him that wasn't present mm -hmm. in the first one because um, it was very much a whodunit and by the time you get to Jason like we know who this guy is you know we know what he's capable of and there's just an energy yeah. to him um, that isn't prevalent with Mrs. Voorhees or even like, or even Roy in part five. <laughs> Jason just, yeah, he just really owns the screen in, in the same way that Freddy does, in the same way as Michael does in yeah. space. There's just a very identifiable quality to him. But mm -hmm. yeah, like, I think that's um, where these movies really do stand out because each of them are so different to one, especially as the franchise goes along. Yeah. 
you can really see that they're trying to do something different. Like the first one, yeah, Absolutely. It, did, it did set the bar, but part two, that was the first one I did see as a child. Um, my video store had all of them except for the first one, believe it or not. There you go, same, same, <laughs> I, same. I don't know how that happened, but um, the good thing with part two is um, it's got like a 10 minute recap of the first movie. In, yes, yeah. yes. So I was all caught up, but uh, yeah. Jason, with that one, I, I was expecting the uh, the big bulky hockey mask wearing dude, and what I got in part two was really surprising and terrifying. At the same mm -hmm. time, like uh, that um with the burlap sack. Yeah, like the whole town yeah. dreaded sundown thing. It was yeah, just, um, yes, it was very unnerving to say the least. And I yeah. remember part two just yeah because it was the first one. It, it just it set that bar pretty high. And yeah. I, I don't think it has the insanity that some of the latest sequels have, but I really appreciate how restrained it is considering it is a sequel. And this is usually when you just really start to just go balls to the wall. It's like Randy and Scream 2, like more blood, more blood, yeah. all that stuff. Yeah. Friday 2 keeps it relatively suspense over gore. Like there is gore, but yeah. it's such a creepy film. It's still such uh, a creepy you. movie. I, I agree. Um, I, I mean, I was still thinking about how it was... There are some comparisons between Part 2 and Halloween 2 with um, the hammer to the head and the, the police officer. It's like essentially the same death. <laughs> yeah. Just uh, wrapping up on, on Friday the 13th Part 1, I mean, two thoughts. Uh, the best death, and to me that's Kevin Bacon's Jack arrow yeah. through the neck. Despite looking very dated now i think it's the the most uh, creative one. Oh, best de um in terms of execution no pun intended um it is yeah 100 it is kevin bacon 100 but i have to make a i have to give an honorable mention to annie just for the whole sequence leading up to her death oh yeah 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 that the... as soon as uh, mrs boy speeds past crystal lake and that music starts to kick in yeah yeah that crescendo effect it's just it's still yeah yeah effective scene. yeah, yeah Jack, I, I completely agree just because it's just <laughs> it comes out of the blue like i remember the first yeah. time i saw that movie just that hand just swinging up and grabbing yeah. his head like i think i just jumped back and i i think it's like when my hair last started to recede <laughs> Well, yeah, I mean, it, it, it is it is an incredible one, um, despite looking a bit dated now, but uh, I mean, credits to the execution. Again, like you said, no pun intended. Alice as a final girl, I mean, she's okay. She's a, a bit bland. She's no Jamie Lee Curtis. Uh, she's no, no Laurie Strode, uh, right? So um, I, I think she, she's okay. I, I actually would have preferred it if Brenda had been the final goal. Like, as I was watching this movie, I was really warming to Brenda. Mm -hmm. like, she she didn't have that um, very conventional final girl attribute, like that, that virginal sensibility that a lot of horror movies had at the time. She was just very, she was just very natural. There was like an organic sense to her. Mm -hmm. like, even when they're all playing Monopoly, it was... Strip uh, Monopoly, yeah. <laughs> yeah, there was just like, there was a warmth to her. And even when she runs out into the storm, because she hears presumably this little kid screaming for dear life it was she was a very lovable yeah. character and i just thought oh we could have done more with her but alice yeah uh, I, I do like her um i do 
especially um, after she finds Bill's body and, you know, we see her, you know, ringing the door to the cabin. And there was mm-hmm. um, there was a competency to her. And yeah, survival. <laughs> and this is where I love Friday the 13th is um, it does have a very good sense of humor. After we see her go to all that effort to rig the door, a body goes flying through the window. Through the window, just yeah. Just two seconds later. I, I think that's yeah. why... That's where I separate Halloween and Friday the 13th. Like, Friday the 13th has a very, very good sense of humor. It doesn't take itself yeah. too seriously. And there are times where it almost gives you that wink, like it's winking at the audience. Like, come on, we're just here to have mm-hmm. it. Yeah, I, I completely agree. And I mean, this is a perfect segue to uh, to continue analyzing part two. And I mean, you said it all. I mean, they wanted to make an anthology kind of movie but then they decided against it. Uh, obviously, this was before Halloween 3 tried the same thing. Uh, this was uh, a year before, two years before. And um, I think, I mean, then we know that, spoiler alert, Alice is not really a final girl, but um, yeah. part two, p- part two, I- I'm with you there. The whole, like, it was a franchise trying, okay, let's, what if we bring back Jason, who was only mentioned in part one? And I think... Um, in part two, you have, uh, again, the fact, what you just mentioned about part one and the franchise overall, like, not taking itself too seriously. In part two, you have a guy who defies all the movies, uh, slasher movie rules, Ted, right? Why is he alive? That's the big question. I mean, the guy drinks, he uh, he escapes being slashed by Jason because he was passed out or black, uh, blacked out in a bar. He's, uh, he was crude, he made the nasty jokes. Okay, granted, they didn't have sex, but we don't know how the night ended for him. Um, he's, he, he's really an outlier, right? And the last time we, we hear about Ted, he's uh, trying to find an after-hour spot to continue drinking. So, I mean, uh, there you go. There's a franchise that doesn't take itself too seriously. <laughs> you got to really imagine how relieved those counselors must have been the morning after when they got back and realized what had happened? Yeah, I mean, I I still don't know, like, if it's a dream sequence at the end. Well, chances are it is. Um, Yeah, there was a dream sequence. Part 3 does um, hint at the fact that it wasn't a dream. Um, I think they make mention of how many bodies were found, and if you add them up, Uh, yeah, it pretty much tells you outright, oh, it's not a dream. I haven't... Watch. I, I didn't know yeah, you, you have a, you, for it, but yeah. Yeah. I was disappointed <laughs> to hear that. I'm like, oh, I want to pull the wig. Oh. Oof. That's what I've learned well, with these y- movies so far. Don't get attached to anyone. Just no, no, no. They will not make it to the end. They, they will go. I, I think, yeah, I mean, part two for me, it's a, a four out of five because I, I really enjoy it. I think it's very well executed. Even from the perspective when you see, I don't recall the name of the character, the police officer like slowing down when he sees Jason hopping around the, the road. That's and uh, that leads... Yeah, I think it's uh, I think it's very well executed and it was great. And like you said, the the whole recap thing it's pretty much sets the tone of you didn't watch the first one. That's that's okay. You don't have to. And it's I think it's one of not if not the longest one of the longest uh, pre-credit sequences, clocking at almost twelve to fifteen minutes. Oh, yeah, like you have fifteen movie. minutes of movie before. Um, and I mean, I think, um, and we see Jason as a, a caring human when he takes the teapot, the, the kettle, 
uh, out of the uh, <laughs> when he moves it, it. It's just it's a brilliant touch. I think um, I think it's it, it's it's a great one. I think the Ginny uh, as a final girl, arguably the best of the series. A shame she didn't come back. Um, and the best death would go to Mark, uh, the wheelchair bound machete to the head oh, <laughs> sequence yeah. where he goes down the stairs. That it's was just crazy. I, I I this was very early on in my slash days, and mm -hmm. I I was under the impression that there were. Um, like kids especially i was under the impression were off limits like it was an unspoken rule and when i saw mark mm -hmm. the first time it's like come on dude's in a wheelchair come on take some sympathy he's not gonna die he's this this would be too yeah. easy and then yeah that machete lands in the face and just the shock of seeing that yeah and i'm wondering i was under the impression as well that jeff and sandra were the leads of the movie and they get killed immediately after that so at that yeah. point, it's like, oh, anybody can die. Like the Except the 13th, for Ted. Yeah. Like, <laughs> Friday the 13th, 1 and 2 had this really unique ability to establish everybody as a character. So you're yeah. never really sure of who's going to bite it. Like everyone yeah. is very well established by the time the anarchy ensues and like the second and third acts. Like my favorite mm -hmm. kill personally, it's, it's Jeff and Sandra. That... Yeah, yeah, the that, spear. that's pretty hard to beat. Mark's a great one, though. Um, yeah. Alice getting killed in the beginning, um, that would be up there for me, but it breaks uh, It breaks that one rule I hate in horror movies. It's to kill the lead actress of the last movie in the beginning. So, yeah. akin to Rachel in Halloween 5. Uh, that, yeah. uh, what I found amazing was that they did that and apparently they were committed to bringing Adrian King back in another sequel. Yeah. Knowing full well that she got an ice pick through the head. And even she <laughs> questioned that, like, I don't think I'm coming back, guys. Yeah. Uh, no, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Didn't she agree to come back only if she, like, for a cameo or something or to get, um, get eliminated? Yeah, it was... I think that was a, a condition. Yeah, I think she was going through some personal stuff with a... I think it was a stalker. And, oh, yeah, yeah, right. Uh, she just wanted to appear on screen for like just a limited amount of time. I'm not sure if she counted on them killing her off, but at the same time, on the flip side of that, it's it's such a great way to introduce Jason. Just in those first yeah. few minutes, like those footsteps, walking across the road to her house, the music. Yes, it, the itsy bitsy spider. <laughs> I know, it, it's it's... It really is that whole less is more approach. Like we don't need to yeah. see, we don't need to see him. You know, we just this is enough. And then killing off Alice, it's all right. You escape Mrs. Voorhees, but this is a greater evil. So yeah, yeah. Alice doesn't survive this. Then yeah, the rest of the cast, you know, they're definitely up against something. Ginny is such That's, a great final. Yeah. Girl. Amy Steele is just great in this movie, and yeah, it's a shame that she never came back. Um, I think she would have been a she, she, adversary to Jason in a sequel. Yeah, she, she was in that uh, April Fool's Day, right, movie, if mm. I'm not mistaken. The 1986 one, yeah. It's it's good. Uh, it's it's good. Interesting. It's Paramount playing a trick on the audience, but uh, it, it was good. Yeah, I, I think with that... Yeah. 
we uh, yeah they did i was thinking about it uh moving from a franchise high to what i personally consider a franchise low it was the first time they tried to remake friday the 13th the, ori the original with part three and it was the whole 3d gimmick released in 1982 at the height of the little 3d renaissance if you will but uh with amityville and jaws both thinking um 3d into the back into the big screen i think i mean it's it's such a shame that a movie that came to the fine jason as a, a hockey mask wearer um is, is is not not very good i mean for me it's a 2.5 out of 5 it's uh, it's essentially a remake of the original and they're not really well they they're not trying to hide it not at all um and i think i mean I don't know, like, even when you read about the original ending where actually Chris gets a machete to the head or something like that, there were some stills, there are some stills circulating in the internet of the original ending, right? Um, I think even with that ending, like, the movie would, wouldn't still be very good. No, no, I, Friday uh... 3, um, it's very clear from the beginning that this is where the series is beginning to get stale. Out of the original four, this one, it feels very much like everybody is cannon fodder. We've yeah. been here before and we're doing it again. And it's it's very uh, paint by numbers. It's just, yeah, it's just yeah. not a very, it's just not a very good Friday film. And, and, and they even, I mean, um, we, we, we don't, we didn't mention, um, crazy Ralph, but here you got a crazy replacement with that guy that picks up the eye. And I was like, Oh no, yeah, here we go again. And screen like this. Yeah. 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 Can a forced 3d eyeball? effect. Like, yeah. Look, it, yes. Look, it's so in your face. And I think that's, but that's the thing with all the three, the three D effects of of 1982. They're all like, even with Jaws three, for example. I've seen it more times than I care to admit. But uh, even when the shark, yeah, when the shark like it slowly moves towards the screen, then breaks the glass, and then it's like hovering in the screen, like in your face for like ten seconds. You're like, okay, cool, shark is there. I'm seeing it. Let's move on. Next thing. And I think um, it kind of like dilutes even. Even the memory of, like, Crazy Ralph, you would expect maybe they could keep bringing him along as long as they were around um, um, Camp Crystal Lake. And the thing is, like, having such a cheap ripoff, I think it dilutes the, the whole, like, character, right? Oh, look, it was Crazy Ralph? Yeah, you got whacked last movie, but we got a cheap replacement for you. And you just get that guy who's on the screen, like, for a couple of seconds, and you're just like, okay, cool. That's yeah, it, just and I th just for like you know a whole oh this is a crazy Ralph moment, but we couldn't get crazy yeah. Ralph because we killed him in the second one, so we're just gonna bring yeah. this random guy who you're never gonna see again. It'll be great. yeah, and, and and it's just one of one of the many examples where part three dilutes the credibility uh, that was not credibility, but at least the, the goodwill and uh, the fandom that was uh, created with the first two movies. And even, like, you know, with these movies, they're, uh, they require some suspension of disbelief, but um, I think that having those two older hippies in the same van as the younger kids, I'm just like, this makes absolutely no sense, but hey, let's go with it. Um, I think, again, Chris, as a final girl, 
she's not that memorable. She has the whole like, oh, I had this trauma as a child. And when she first met Jason, um, it's never quite well explained why or what really happened. You have that dream sequence. But it, again, it's quite bland and I think pretty much like Chris. But the movie does feature uh, two... Well, Shelley is a, an interesting character. And um, I think, uh, like, yeah, even the whole, like, punch... Like, when the gang punches the the, the car window... It's it's quite good all those interactions with with Shelley, um, but I think for me like Vera with the spear gun to the eye and again Rick's eye squeeze both eye related uh, deaths are the the two top ones and I think I mean Rick again it looks a bit cartoonish but uh, the whole head squeeze for me really worked and it always like ah this is this is this is a moment. Yeah, it's very cringe inducing. Um... Yeah. No, I when I was watching it, I have to agree with you, Vera. It, just that whole sequence. I had seen it before. I knew it was coming, but there was just something so effective about seeing Jason come out, like walking out onto that dock for the first time. She's under the mm -hmm. presumption that this is Shelley, and he raises the harpoon, and it's just Vera. At the same, on the flip side of that as well, is I think she is one of the more likable characters of the bunch. Like, even mm -hmm. in the opening scene when they go to pick her up and, you know, we meet her mother and, you know, we see that her... She is not made. going. Yeah. She yeah. may not have uh, an exactly ideal home life. Uh, yeah. I, I thought that established her more than the rest of them. And the thing is, she wasn't even on screen when that was all happening. Yeah. And even her relationship with Shelley, like, she didn't completely blow him up either. Like, there was a part of her that was going, oh, this okay. And yeah, yeah I, I just, I didn't think she was the bitchy character that I remembered her as. Like I found her a little bit endearing, but yeah, okay. going back on what I said before with Friday the 13th, just like, don't get attached to anyone because like they will die. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, um, as we know by this time, 1982 or even the, the next two years, the, the slasher fatigue had, had been installed in the, in movie theaters all over the globe and i think when they took a break after like a one-year gap to see okay where are we taking the franchise and then they tried to end it pretty much like any uh, like the rolling stones or, or kiss saying this is the last tour ever and then surprise we're back for more um but i think from um a franchise low that was friday the 13th part three uh friday the 13th the part four the final chapter was was great i mean it's a five out of five and it's interesting to see because the way i see it is you you describe the first four as a, a part of a bunch and it makes sense because like this is the final chapter they meant to end it to me i i usually tend to see the first three as a as a part of a, like their own i don't know little uh package and then you have like you have in other franchises, you have part four, five, and six, which is the trilogy within the franchise, right? This is the Tommy Jarvis trilogy. Pretty much like you have the Jamie Lloyd trilogy, the way I see it, I may be, uh, may be out of line here with the oh, fan, no, but no, I see part four, part four, five, and six as the Jamie Lloyd franchise. And uh, with Nightmare on Elm Street, it's three, four, and five with the dream whatever, the dream uh, warriors, dream masters, and the dream child. Although I rather choose to forget the dream child was ever made or I exists agree. but um, 
but that that's a whole different story. So I tend to see part four as not the end, and probably that's the benefit of hindsight, but um, the beginning of something new, new for the franchise. And I mean, don't get me wrong, um, Corey Feldman is bratty, uh, and it's, it's quite annoying. I do like his intro with the mask like the alien mask when he's playing like his video game it's it looks it's cool like and his mom saying you need a haircut and he's like mom is like he has no hair oh he's wearing a mask fine so it's it's kind of cool that movie and it, it's a five out of five for me um simply because it's um like there was joseph zito made uh, an effort and the screenwriters made an effort to link that movie to what happened before right we have the whole oh my sister was killed in part two and I'm here to avenge her death. You know, like, okay, so there's um, there's something going on here. And I think um, it was really, like, really well executed. Uh, I don't know your, your take on it. No, this is one, as a kid, I went back and forth on part two and part four quite a bit. And I think mm -hmm. part four, as you said, like, um, it's the first of, like, the Tommy Jarvis trilogy. Tommy is yeah. just such... He's... I think a lot of us, when we see him, I, I think we can see, like, the horror fan in ourselves as a child. Like, we see just how devoted this kid is to this genre, to the point where he's made, like, all these unbelievable masks. Masks, like, yeah. Like, the, the hand that wraps around what yeah. like in one scene. It's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember being into all this stuff. So I think he's very identifiable as a protagonist. I think that's why he has so much longevity with like, the subsequent films with five and six. Like, part four mm -hmm. as a whole, I think this is, yeah, as you said, some people were under the impression that this was going to be the last one, so let's just go balls to the wall. Let's just throw as much gore in there as we can. Let's throw as much like sex and nudity in there as we can. Let's throw as much anarchy in there as we can. Just make this like the definitive ending to the franchise. Like, send it out on a high. And Joseph Cito, yeah. he is, he's directed one of my favorite horror movies, The Prowler. And I think he mm -hmm. adds a lot of, a lot of that um, organic sense of nature that was in the first movie. Like, um, you're out in the woods, you know, you're all alone. There is this very palpable sense of isolation with that first film. And I think it's mm -hmm. as present in this one as it is in the original. And not only that, mm -hmm. I think... The characters in this movie are so likable, especially um, Crispin Glover. Like, I, I think he's so <laughs> good in this movie. Like, and I have to believe that some of it was improper, like the dancing in particular. I'm certain that. Yes, been. yes, it, it it is it it is that's the way he danced in clubs. Uh, apparently, that's the the tr tr trivia thing. That's like originally they were it, the movie was to feature ACDC's Back in Black. But they couldn't get a ride, so they got a lion. Love is a lie. Love is a lie. And then he goes like, the whole dancing thing was just like, that's him being him. Uh, Crispin, Vin, Crispin. Um, and I think you're absolutely spot on. And I think Tom Savini, uh, he, he was in uh, part of the makeup artist in the original. And he came back. And when you get that reveal, when the mask is flipped over... And you finally see uh, Jason's face, and even when the machete goes through his hand, all of, all those things like it's so well executed. It's very well executed, and and and, and Tom Savini was was great um, as a makeup artist. Um, and speaking of uh, Crispin Glover, I think uh, that he takes well. 
first the computer scene with um, the other guy where he goes, you're a dead fuck. <laughs> it was like... That's my favorite line. Uh, yeah, it's like, well, the computer doesn't exist. Neither does Betsy or Betty. <laughs> and I was like, wow, that was like, wow, very, very, it's, it's a very emotional um, scene. And for me, it taught me a very valuable lesson. If you want to make a fool out of yourself, always make it with new people. And I think it's it's fantastic. And that's what prompted me to start a podcast um, and get new guests. Uh, it's because uh, it's it's a life lesson. And I think it's it's very rare for a slasher to contain such a such an important life lesson. Yeah, that's the thing. Uh, yeah, in this movie, there is a camaraderie amongst every Not yeah. just with the teenagers either, but um, with the Jarvis family. And even Rob, yeah. even when he's introduced... Um, He's there for a reason. Like we can see very clearly, he's there for a reason. But there's a lack of concern and compassion on his face. Like you know, oh, um, are there any people staying in the area? You know, any kids? You know, yeah. that sort of thing. There's just yeah. I don't know. There, there was really something organic about each individual character in this movie. Um, especially the comedy, mm-hmm. especially the humor. Uh, this movie is yeah. so funny. Um, Friday the 13th yeah. really doesn't get enough credit for just how fun, intentionally funny some of these movies are. Yeah. Um, part 2 yeah. and Part 4 and, of course, Part 6 in particular. Um, yeah. Yeah, Part 4 is really a high note. Um, like I said, I think this is just one where they went, let's make the best movie that we can possibly make. That whole yeah. opening in the morgue in particular, that has my favorite death in the Ooh, entire movie. Ooh, yeah. Yeah, the... Um, yeah. The sword in the neck and then twisting yeah, yeah. It all the way around. Like that, yeah. that shocked the hell out of me, even seeing it again now. Yeah. The effects just look incredible. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, uh, I, I, I'm sure it does, be, because you got the, the whole, like, the new Blu-ray edition, right? Yeah. So yeah. you got the, uh, I need to, I need to revisit that. And definitely part four, if I can buy it on, on Blu-ray, I, I will, because I only have the DVD. Um, and I mean, you, you now mentioned that death and I was like, shit, that beats my, uh, my pick because my pick was actually Crispin Glover's Jimmy. Oh, hey no, Ted, where's the corkscrew? Boom! Corkscrew to the hand and then machete to the face. It's so it's, uh, it's so quick. Yeah. And it just hits you out of the blue, especially that machete to the face. Um, yeah. I don't know how they, I, I've seen the uncut versions of those scenes, but I love the way that they edited it in the movie just because... In some ways, I think um, the MPAA coming down on some of these movies really, really made them try to utilize a lot of those scenes with, like as much as they could put on the screen. And yeah. instead of it being you know just bloody for the sake of you know being bloody, it's just very like, it just comes out of the blue and you know just like that it's gone. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, I've seen on YouTube some of the, the extended cuts, and it's like, wow. Um, but they, they were always playing that cat and mouse game with the, the censors, trying to see how much they could get away with uh, before getting slapped an X rating. But uh, yeah, part four was uh, was definitely great. They unfortunately decided to... What they didn't do with part two, or what Halloween did, not really, but kind of did with part three, they... Paramount did it with part five, right? A new beginning, 1985. And, I mean, I don't know. I kind of, I, I my affection kind of grew with the movie. Um, yeah, same here. I mean, it's not, not as bad as, um, 
It's 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 still Tommy Jarvis. It's great. Well, Corey Feldman was okay, but um, but uh, basically, yeah, it's it's Tommy Jarvis' show from at least for the next two sequels, and um, I think part five. Again, there's the whole funny bit, and I was thinking about that that in the the toilet with uh, Demon. <laughs> Ooh, baby! I was like, shit, no, this can't be it. This can't be happening. Uh, I think that's the most cringe-inducing um, moment in the whole franchise. But uh, Friday yeah, the 13th, Part up. 5, uh, yeah, it's up there, right? Part 5, I mean, spoiler alert, even with, with Roy um, as the killer, I think I think it's it's it has its moments, and it's it's somewhat good i saw you posted like that insta story with violet dancing to pseudo echoes his eyes i love that scene with a fiery vengeance um even though i hadn't seen the movie in quite a while that was the one scene i always remember just because if i if you ask me to define the 1980s with any clip from a movie i would choose that like the alan parsons poster in the background oh yeah, like yeah, yeah. on the stereo you know she's doing the work i think she's doing several different dances all at once isn't she yeah she, she she is i i don't know what she's doing she's doing something but she's like just the her whole choreography there yeah thing it's just I, and also i think that scene is very it, it did remind me a lot of um michael myers from Halloween, um, yeah. I have noticed um, the difference between Jason and Michael. Jason does sometimes just go in for the kill. Roy in this scene, he really does toy with Violet just just a little bit before he kills her. Like even yeah. like the slit, the, the shot of the door opening and yeah. know, the feet appearing on the camera. I got very um, Dick Warlock as Michael Myers in Halloween Two vibes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think that's like a very creepy scene as well. Like yeah, the whole the whole aesthetic aside, like, I just thought that was a very yeah. uh, very well shot scene. Yeah, I I mean overall yeah, and and Violet she was she was likable. Um, I think the whole movie, I mean setting it up in that um, re- rehab clinic. Um, I don't know. Um, it, it was good because it was definitely a milestone of, of giving what was it Reggie Reggie the reckless. Uh, giving him a bit of the the spotlight, um, but um, but yeah, I, I think it was a different setting f- for the first time. We're moving away. Well, part four started that right, moving away from Camp Crystal Lake. Though it starts there, um, and it has that great shot you mentioned, like when the ambulance and the choppers are going away, and you just have like the eerie, like dark yeah, in part that, four. I think. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And in and, and part five, I think they tried to do something new with the new setting. It works to a certain extent. Um, I just think, yeah, again, recapping on the final girls under uh, Tommy Jarvis, like Trish, she was okay, but overshadowed by Tommy. And the same thing with, with Pam here. She's very nurturing, very, very caring. But um, yeah, she's ultimately um, quite uh, quite standard. Uh, there are some good jump scares. I don't know if you agree when they're going, they're in the barn and they're going to uh, check if Roy is gone. The one that gave um, me the shock of my life when I first saw it, um, it was when Tommy jumped around to scare Reggie, and he was wearing the, I think he's wearing the alien mask from Part 4. 
Okay, yeah. Yeah, that. Yeah, or a werewolf or something. Yeah, yeah. I think I went like pasty white, but like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was a great skit. Um, oh, the outhouse sequence. I I hate sequences in movie. I love them, but I'm incredibly claustrophobic. So scenes like demon being stuck in this like confined space and jamie being stuck in the laundry chute in halloween 5 like these scenes like really yeah. get to me and mm-hmm. yeah that that was just such uh, that death really struck me in particular it was just being well terrifying i guess yeah just uh, you know in a yeah terrifying yeah yeah, absolutely. Although I think they had like both uh, Demon and his partner. I think the the whole dynamic of oh she's singing to him whilst he's uh, taking a dump. I was just like, wow. I don't think these are relationship goals, but uh, maybe no. they they come close. But they're just like it's so odd. Like the whole thing. I don't know. I, I mean, um, <laughs> it's 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 a three out of five for me. Like um, like I said, it's 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 a solid effort that grew grew on me and part five i think there's no jason there's that uh the original plans for the sequel were were very ambitious and i think it would have been great to see like maybe taking the franchise in a different direction and seeing tommy not becoming jason but maybe evolving into becoming a serial killer himself and then maybe a confrontation between the two but i think that required a lot from the audience, right? Oh, so we need to watch part four to understand part five. And that's not what Paramount wanted. We're, they were about to hit the point of diminishing returns with part five after a boost from part four. But back to the, the grim and gore, I think the best death is actually not committed by Jason, not by Roy, and you know what I'm talking about. Vic and Joey and the chocolate. All right, Vic, don't you forget it. I think... I love that Here, scene. Here, uh, I That's one of those examples of just scenes that really hit you like, what the fuck just happened? Like, it just, it comes out of nowhere. And yeah. for whatever reason, I didn't notice, and I, I will say this about part five, I'll lay some context here. I really enjoy it. And uh, one thing I will respect about Halloween and Friday the 13th with... Halloween 4 and Friday 5 in particular is they recognized that they were in danger of becoming stale very, very quickly. So they were basically like, okay, we need to cover some new ground here. So what can we do that's fresh and original and maybe mm-hmm. innovative? It'll take the franchise in you know, a certain direction. With Jamie potentially becoming the killer in Halloween and with Tommy potentially becoming the killer in this, Mm-hmm. I think I think they really found themselves at a stalemate. It's, we want to give you something fresh, but people are there for Michael and people are there for Jason. So it, it really comes down to, you know, just that fine line of, you know, you can only do so much. It, it would have been really interesting to see both, but I understand why they had to back out of it. But Friday 5... This always stands out to me as one of the most unique ones. Because, yeah, Roy is the killer. The idea of a copycat killer. Yeah. As convoluted as it is, I I do like it. I I think I do kind of excuse the whole, why does he become Jason? 
is he just fascinated yeah. by Jay? Is he like some kind of a crazed fan? I, I don't know if there was any backstory um, that was crafted for him. Yeah. I, I know they sort of shoehorn in, in an explanation at the end, but for the most part, like I, I do respect them for trying to give us something new, and it didn't work. But yeah, I think that ultimately really segues into part six very nicely because then we see Tommy has become this, um, I, I guess, a Van Helsing sort of a character. Like, we see yeah. his arc through these movies. Like, we see him, you know, at his best. We see him at his lowest. And then we see him at his most reformed. Seeking redemption, yeah. Exactly. And exactly. I, I think that really gives a lot of... I think part six really lends a lot of um, levity to part five, in hindsight. Yeah. But I, I can't imagine how people must have reacted to the copycat twist in 85 when they saw this so it, it must have been really, really Because even I didn't get it as a kid. Yeah, I, I mean, um, so I, I went to the movie. I, I knew that part five had that reputation and I knew why. So I was a bit aware. So I was looking. And, and I mean, yeah, I knew I had the spoiler. Uh, I was aware of the spoiler. And um, when you look at Roy, it's kind of like they do make it obvious when, like, the kid is taken away like it's not really like they, they the camera sits with him for a good five seconds like look there's something weird about Roy and I mean I think here it was pretty much okay we killed Jason we don't want to defraud you and we're showing like a concept of a new beginning but at the same time that's not what the audiences wanted so and I guess that's also very uh, a, a recurring topic with part nine, with Jason goes to hell, right? Um, basically, they they were at a, they were at the lost, right? Where do we go from here? And um, and part five is definitely like one of those moments, like defining moments, because we like Nightmare on Elm Street was just taking off, uh, and slashers were going straight to videos so basically we need to do something to keep this cash cow going and i mean they got to the point where there's only so many things you can do um and we'll, we'll jump into part six in a second but i had to mention the hubbards ethel and junior my favorite part of the movie chop them to itty bitty pieces eat your soup <laughs> Oh, I used to quote some of the... Di I would get into so much trouble as a kid. I would quote some of their dialogue, just their banter. And I would always get into trouble for it. But those two deserved their own spin-off. Like, even a prequel, I could have yeah. I wanted to see a whole movie set around these two. They were perfect. I... I think it's that, and uh, that's. There's another character that for, for when when IMDb allowed for forums, um, there was this character from Halloween Two, Harold, right? The guy, like who's watching TV, like, would you want a sandwich? And like Harold doesn't take no sandwiches. And like this, there was a whole thread dedicated to like Harold was the real killer in Halloween Two and that. everything. Like, the old right? Message was, I remember that. Yeah, 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 yeah. And they had like the whole thing. Like Harold should have like. He'd be there, like, with Jason and Michael and uh, Freddy. Like, Harold is was a stone-cold killer. Like, bitch, if you tell me one more time, if, if you ask me one more time what I want in my sandwich, you're going to get the knife. And it's like, wow. I don't know. They were like... And they were really funny, those threads uh, about, like, Harold. Um, and I think the Hubbards are pretty much the same. Like, and it's part of that comic relief that you were... that you mentioned. 
Uh, and it's it's the, the comic relief that gets amplified as the franchise says, listen, and I think that was a decision consciously made by Paramount with um, Slashers in 1986. Like we mentioned, April Fool's Day and Friday the 13th Part 6. Jason lives. Look, Jason is back. It's very self-aware. There are a lot of jokes. It's a funny movie, right? Part oh, yeah. 6. Like, Friday... Uh, from the opening start. credits with James Bond. Sorry? I love that. No, like, Friday, <laughs> as they stand, um, they do have a great sense of humor, but Part 6 really takes it to a new height, to that self-aware sort of stature. And yeah. yeah, I think at this point, one thing I do applaud them for is they didn't make Jason ridiculous. They made the things that happened yeah. around him ridiculous. Like I've seen that happen yeah. before. And with Jason, I was genuinely amazed at certain scenes, um, especially with a little girl, Nancy, when yeah. um, he's in the cabin and he's leaning over her. Like, that was just such a terrifying shot. In an otherwise yeah. pretty funny movie that, you know, has that yeah. the, the predated scream self-awareness to it. Yeah, like Friday 6, it really manages to be a bit of everything. You know, it manages to be you know, yeah. action, it manages to be comedy. And yeah, it's just a straight... It, some of the deaths in that movie in particular, I, I remember that one being really, really tame for some reason. And when I saw the deaths in well, this the, one, he... I, I was genuinely shocked at the, the whole fist going through whores right at the beginning like that was yeah i did not remember that at all yeah uh, yeah the, the, uh, well now, now that you mention it I, i'm thinking about that that one i was thinking more of the painful <laughs> related death the when the, he throws the face against the smiley face and whatnot it was just like wow uh and even the Cunningham Road reference to uh, Sean S. Cunningham, it, it was an interesting one. And it was like, it's funny how, I don't know if on the Blu-ray they do have a trailer, because there was actually, other than that sloppy, minimalist teaser, there isn't actually a trailer for that movie, is there? Really? Like an official trailer. I don't know, because you only have the teaser where the, the coffin, like, rises from the ground, and it's uh, it opens, and it's empty, Very and it's, uh, that's it. And then you have the TV spots, but uh, that's pretty much it. You don't see Jason there. It's yeah, just a teaser. I, I could actually believe that. Um, some of the Paramount DVDs that I have, yeah, all they've got is like the only bonus features that they have are um, yeah, trailers. So yeah, I, the I trailers, probably yeah, like a little teaser or something like that. Yeah, but yeah, part six. So I guess it was promoted as listen. This is what what we're trying to do. Just trying to, again reinvent the franchise and um on top of that i mean there's alice cooper who contributed i think both <laughs> the movie helped him and he helped the movie with uh, the man behind the mask and hard rock summer i think it helped them make a stage a comeback but it also opened the paved the way for what we saw in uh nightmare on elm street like part three and four being like mtv oriented uh with uh with popular popular uh, performers featured in the soundtrack Oh, yeah. um Nine and i yeah like, as soon as i, I idol like, yeah two years ago or something like that and i couldn't believe how 80s that movie was like it, it just lands in that era of that that john hughes era of yeah like honestly it does fit in as sort of like a like a weird science ferris bueller kind of a thing it's almost got that same aesthetic in certain scenes yeah yeah no no a a absolutely 
Um, yeah, but I, I believe that part six started, or at least uh, was the one that started that trend of having a, a solid soundtrack. I mean, it's the um, Tommy Jarvis, again, the last chapter featuring, uh, uh, starring Tommy. I think he's good, and like you said, there was a character arc, so there's the search for redemption. And I don't think they ever allude to the fact that he was in a rehab clinic or a mental institution or anything like that, right? It's pretty much like, I'm on a rampage, yeah, and uh, like I a, need to... There's a throwaway line in the opening scene, you know, oh, the clinic finds out okay. doing this. Apparently that... Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I, I'm pretty sure that Van the Bear I mean, is meant to be um, Pam's from Part 5. Uh, don't quote me on that. Oh. I did read okay. that somewhere, and I thought, oh, so Part 5 is canon. I, I was under the impression for years that Part 6 just dismissed Part 5 as a whole. Yeah, now that you mention it, there is that, uh, that quote about the um or if the clinic now finds out that we're we're out here yeah uh yeah i mean part six was uh for me it's it's a four out of five like you said there are some uh the, the franchise didn't take itself too seriously but at this point and there are some uh some quirky and interesting characters i mean the best death for me are both uh the deaths that take place in the rv uh court with the knife to the temple and uh, his girlfriend, like, getting, like, her face smashed into the, the mirror and everything, like, and you see the other side of the mirror, just her face coming out, like, the silhouette of her face. But I think Court, yeah, he takes the, uh, he, he, I think, other than, than Tommy and Megan, who's, again, okay, but overshadowed by Tommy, I think Court is the funniest character in the movie. Absolutely. Court really got a great death scene. That, that RV flipping over, the way it did, it... I yeah. miss seeing stunts like that in movies so much. Like, whenever I see, like, yeah. a practical stunt that's as crazy as that, I almost get shocked yeah. now. Like, oh, yeah, there was a time that they did do stuff like that. Yeah. They were, like, gone in 60 seconds, uh, 2000. Like, I know there was some CG that was used in some of the chasing. I thought, oh. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you're absolutely right. Now that I think of it, like even the the RV flip uh, is more impressive than Court's death. Uh, but uh, the, the the guy, like, uh, I think he's one of those like hair metal kind of guys who was like, "Doesn't your mom know how to sew?" Because of the ripped jeans, and when he's teaching like the kids um, about like, so the Papa Indian would go and put some stones in, right? So you know, maybe if you want to hunt or some shit like that, I like <laughs> seriously, dude. And I think it's 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 the first time in the whole series that um, obviously they renamed Camp Forest Green, like the Camp Crystal Lake to Camp Forest Green, but it takes the movie, uh, the franchise, back to Camp Crystal Lake. But it's the first time we actually see children like attending those camps. Yeah, uh, I think. I uh, was surprised by this because apparently, when he was up at the job, he hadn't seen any of the Friday movies, so. The day that he went in for his meeting, he just watched one to five, like just in one sitting. And yeah. I think, yeah, he one thing he did notice was, yeah, not once were there any like, actual kids at any of these camps. Yeah, I, and, and the other funny thing is how um, those camps would work with uh, minimal supervision of an adult. And uh, with a skeleton team of like seven people, it's like impressive. I don't know if any of them were uh, first aid, like they were able to give first aid or good cooks or 
have any qualifications whatsoever to be counselors without any supervision, but uh, hey-ho, that's Friday the 13th Part 6 for you. Exactly. Um, so, in, your favorite death would be uh, also Court? Or, uh, um... court. It, it's always going to be Court. Even now, just watching yeah. that death scene. And his girlfriend getting a head slammed into the wall right before that. That whole sequence yeah. is just... Like, whenever I think of Jason... More often than not, my first image is, uh, is of him standing atop that RV as, like, the fire mm -hmm. below it. Yeah, fire, yeah. Just that whole sequence is so incredible. And I I could be wrong. I'm pretty sure that that was added later on because I'm pretty sure someone at Paramount went, hey, there's no sex and nudity in this movie. So that whole scene <laughs> was, like, sort of devised as sort of, like, a, a compromise. Like, mm. okay, we'll give you a little bit of this, yeah. but... I think the movie actually benefits from that. Just that yeah. one sequence, especially her death scene, like that's just one hundred percent the moment where you know, all right, yeah, this this movie is definitely not taking itself too seriously, and I love it all the more <laughs> for it. Absolutely, I mean, uh, um, and yeah, it was a, it was a, the end for the Tommy saga and Jason is down in the lake but then there's room for a sequel and again they took a break in 1987 the TV show was released with no connection whatsoever to the movie franchise Which I have not seen. and I, I haven't I, I've seen a couple of episodes like when they were on YouTube like for free and they're not very impressive they're it's a Twilight Zone wannabe but um, the franchise came back in 1988. I think by this point, with Part 7, The New Blood, they wanted to get Freddy Krueger, like Freddy versus Jason. I think it was uh, around this time, no? And that's when they decided, okay, let's make Jason versus Carrie. And they got Tina. Uh, I think, yeah, it was this time, right? When they had New Line own the rights to, to Freddy Krueger and Paramount didn't, they couldn't come to an agreement, so they couldn't make the movie back then, I think. Yeah, that's the I one. think that was uh, the whole I thing. I would have loved to have been in the room when somebody pitched the idea Jason versus Carrie. And I would have loved yeah. to have been there to hear the person that went, great, go make your movie. Yeah, I think at that time it was more of, um, again, the, the, the franchise, it seems like uh, somewhat repetitive, but a, a, after 1984, they, they kept looking for ways to, how can we get new blood, <laughs> no pun intended, into the franchise, right? And they, um, and I guess it was just a natural step. Okay, we need to find someone who's a match for, uh, for Jason, maybe Freddy Krueger, we couldn't get the rights, so let's do something outlandish and find someone who's not Tommy Jarvis but can put up a fight and I mean part 7 is where the franchise kind of starts to lose me I have to say that after part 6 I don't revisit the movies quite often as um, as I do uh, part part 7 still has some great sequences with the, like the explosion and some of the quotes like there goes the neighborhood and even Bernie from Weekend at Bernie's uh, playing the the psychiatrist who's trying to the unscrupulous psychiatrist who's trying to uh, use Tina's skills to his advantage, right? Uh, and he's um, with his mustache and going around. Well, we need to go back to the camp, right? So I think it's I don't know. Um, 
it's not a not at all a franchise low. I, I think I would still give it a three point five out of five um, to this one, and um, just because like Tina is effective, right? As a character, as a rival, she is she's very effective, and um, but at the same time, we're just like revisiting Chris' situation, right? There was a trauma that took place close to Camp Crystal Lake, not involving Jason, but your dad, and na na na. And I don't know, I don't know, like that background story doesn't sit well with me, but uh, it's overall uh, an okay movie. What are your thoughts on it? Yeah, and um, jumping back on that with the childhood trauma, okay. then that goes into Rennie in part eight. Who exactly, exactly. Yes, yes, yes. I was, I was just thinking about that yesterday when I was preparing for the for the podcast. Uh, yeah, it, it became a thing, right? And I think they borrowed that from uh, from Halloween uh, part four, maybe. Well, not 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 really because it was released that year, but Nightmare on Elm Street for sure with uh, the sleeping deprivation in part three in the dream warriors i guess that was taken uh okay this somewhat sells like moody teens let's get them in and i mean no no problem with that but i guess yeah you're absolutely right like they they really took it like okay let's milk this cow and get the uh the um, trauma induced child into or teenager into the movie i think um but i think yeah it's still it's still believable the the effects are very good and again the um, I haven't seen the Blu-ray but they have a lot of interviews with a lot of the the cast members and they talk about actually the all the effects and even the 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 makeup that was involved and it's it's really fantastic like I would say next to part four that's the, probably the next best movie in terms of the makeup artist uh, work right oh yeah with uh, with the face and everything the mask exploding or opening up. This movie is crazy. Like that was another thing that I had forgotten because at the beginning, in the first act, it does uh, retreat onto familiar territory, but then yeah. as soon as the battle begins, just some of the crazy shit that they were doing in this movie, um, dropping a house on Jason, you know, setting him on oh, fire. Yeah. I, I think Kane Hodder holds the record for the longest defense yeah. or whoever they actually did set on fire uh, just mm-hmm. some of the crazy practical work that they did in this movie it's I, I think that's the only reason it kind of stands out for me and I gotta say mm-hmm. out of all of them um, Jason's look um, as soon as the mask breaks yeah. I, I do find that really unsettling for some reason it's yeah. not the Jason I remember from part 3 or 4 but he's he's been in the coffin for years so uh, I guess he looked at and it's not yeah, as, yeah. not as bad as how he looked in part eight, but we'll get to that later. Yeah. <laughs> no, yeah, th- there were some. Uh... Really, it suffers because the MPW really did come down hard on this movie, and seeing yeah. all that uncut footage, like what, yes. what remains of it, you know, you know the video files. It's such a shame that we're not going to get to see that in the movie because it just looks incredible. Like even that axe yeah. to the face, um, you know, throw back to the original movie and just Melissa getting thrown across the room. It's amazing how yeah. much stuff like that will make or break a movie. Like in My Bloody Valentine, the difference between hmm. the, the theatrical cut and the uncut version, it's just, it's dramatic. 
And I feel like it applies. The the nineteen the nineteen eighty the nineteen eighty one movie. The, that's the version. The one. That's the one. So I forgot they. Okay. It. Yeah. Well, uh, unfortunately, I paid good money to see it in three D in two thousand and nine because hey, three D. Uh, that was before Avatar was released, by the way. So I have an excuse. But yeah. Oh wow. Yeah. I, I mean. Yeah. Oh, Piranha. But I loved the original, and I did watch the original when I was eight, and I really because I was really into Jaws. Um, and when Piranha was on cable, I was like, "What's this?" And I I really enjoy it. Uh, and I did watch the sequels, but at home. But um, back Piranha. to your yeah. Oh, the P P Piranha Two. Yes, James Cameron. Uh, I did watch that one, and also the uh, the new ones that were released like last decade. Um. They're funny, uh, just I different. Piranha Two is just is really just awful. Uh, yeah, with Richard Dreyfuss. Yeah. In the opening yeah. scene. <laughs> what a way to open your movie and send a message. Yeah, there you go. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Well, I'll need to look up that uh, My Bloody Valentine like the difference, but definitely, uh, I think the reason why Part Seven I still cut it some slack is just because um yeah i i always read about the cuts and uh for me that segues perfectly into my favorite death in the movie which is come and get me you big hunk of a man jane and the sleeping bag and the tree and the repeated slash and apparently they were like no two beatings is fine three is pushing the envelope we'll cut it there and so she only gets whacked twice against the or smashed against the tree twice but the good thing about that death is just the idea of it is so good that yeah. I'm not, that's like the one death I'm not too bugged about the cuts, just just the absurdity of it. Like at this point in the franchise, yeah. it's really embracing just the absurdity of like just everything, even the deaths. But yeah, that, yeah. I think that's Kane Hodder's favorite kill as well. And I noticed that they um, they redo that death scene in Jason X. Um, there's a, there's a mm. Oh, where, um, with the yeah, with the sleeping the face badge. smash. Yeah. Oh, um, oh okay. Ah, no, no, okay. Yeah, he ends up not only killing one woman in a sleeping bag, but two. Like he ends up wrapping <laughs> one of them in a sleeping bag and bashing the other one, like with the other. Oh, okay. Bag. Yeah. So <laughs> that was a nice little throwback to part seven. Like I completely forgot that wow. what happened. That was like the one thing in Jason wow. where I went, I like that. No, that that was pretty good. Nice. Uh, well, definitely I'll have to watch Jason, Jason X. And I mean, then we reach a new low for the franchise in 1989. I mean, back then, with the exception of Nightmare on Elm Street, all the franchises were no longer... They, were, they hit the diminishing returns point. And Friday the 13th Part 8, I mean, it could have been something interesting with Jason Takes Manhattan, but... As we know, they couldn't get the budget to shoot a lot of scenes in Manhattan, so there a lot of the, the footage is set aboard a ship. Um, I, I don't know. I mean, this is a, this is a, an all-time low, like a two point five out of five for me, because um, even a two out of five, just because uh, I don't know the, the movie. Like, it has some good sequences and it embraces the humor, the humor and zaniness of part six and seven. With uh, Jason looking at the the mask advert, well, hockey mask advertising, and the uh, ghetto blaster kick, hey dude, oh, <laughs> and he like he crazy. takes the mask. No, but other than that, uh, yeah, it could have been yeah, great. It, it really could have been. Um, 
I do feel bad for the director because I know that he he had one idea of how he wanted to make the movie and Paramount just they weren't accommodating that. Like even the scenes that are, are set in New York, apparently some of the shots are in Canada. Like they filmed them in Canada. Yes, yes. So that really yes. goes to show just how hindered a lot of the production was. So as a kid, I'm really ashamed to say this. As a kid, this was one of my favorites because I went through a phase where I was just obsessed with, um, with ships. And mm. I didn't even realize the video store that I used to rent these from... Um, they didn't include the covers of the actual movies. You just got like a ah, just the title, bland, like the title, and it's just like Friday the Thirteenth Part Eight. So when I watched it and I just saw it was set on the ship, I was under the presumption that, that was going to be the only setting. And then years later, I found yeah. out, you know, oh, it was meant to be this, and you know, the title is Jason Takes Manhattan, but two thirds of the movie are on the ship and. Yeah, it just answered a lot of questions about why people hate it so much. Yeah. That, and it's just, it's very bland. It's very, um, even the Crazy Ralph, from the moment that cra- the Crazy Ralph wannabe on the ship shows up, who's really, oh, yeah. really, really terrible, <laughs> I went, yeah. oh, oh, this is, this is going to be a hard one to watch. But the death scenes are really bland, and none of the characters are particularly memorable, and you've got Rennie with... That shoehorn yeah. backstory, um, like a connection to Jason, and it's like, oh, we're doing this again, really? Like, once you watch these movies consistently, and you see how many times they do that, at this point, I'm yeah. rolling my eyes like, uh, whatever. No, I just want to get this over and done with now. Yeah, I, I mean, it's uh, it, it's a fair point. I think th- this was the last movie, at least even in, in Portugal, to be, to get a t- theatrical release. Uh, and by the time uh, it was no longer popular, or people didn't really care. Uh, and I agree with you. Rene is quite bland. It's kind of a Tina wannabe. Um, I don't know. I mean, the I just really don't get really bumped with the movie, although it has some some great uh, death scenes and. Um, I mean, overall, I think there's still, like, um, there, there, there's room for a best death, I would say, and it's uh, JJ and the guitar. That is and that's just because JJ, JJ was annoying as hell, uh, so <laughs> it was good riddance. Am I going mad, or the way that she was playing the guitar, it didn't match at all how it sounded? Am I going mad? Yeah, that, 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 no, 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 you're absolutely correct. There's no, no coherence whatsoever between what we see on the screen and what we hear. I have, it's, like, uh, just... I do not have a musical background whatsoever, but even I was looking at that scene and I went, something's really off here. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. And, uh, yeah, spot on. Well, no, Julius um, would be my favorite. I, I've got to say as well, Julius was my favorite character of this entire movie. Uh, one thing I will say is I loved that as soon as shit began to go down, he was the one that stood up and said, all right, uh, everyone grab your weapons. Like there's that scene where, you know, they're all grabbing yeah. axes and, you know, the guns and all that stuff. And I was thinking, I like this guy. Like he knows what he's doing. And even in his death scene leading up to that, he's just... He's just facing down Jason. He's got no fear in him whatsoever. And I just thought, yeah, this is a very unique character to see in the franchise. I was actually kind of disappointed that he died. <laughs> Again, don't grow attached or don't develop yeah. any connection with any character. 
Um, but it's it, it's interesting. Uh, you you were also gonna mention, I guess, the whole thing with the toxic uh, residuals was just like, oh, why? And uh, the whole thing of taking a boat trip to New York was just again, why? Um, I don't know. Yeah, uh, but there's also a, a good death scene with uh, when he punches the guy's head, like in the roof. I don't recall who who was it. Yeah, that was Julius. But I Julius, to, okay, so Julius. I'm yeah. back on my um, statement, actually. Uh, I think my favorite death would actually be the dude that... Um, the Hot Rocks. The, yeah, the Hot Rock. That was a brutal... In a film with a lot of particularly tame deaths, that one really made me go, holy shit. It's just the way that yeah. he just slams it straight... He basically just shoves his whole arm into the guy's belly and... Oh, yeah, that, that made me cringe something fierce. It was, uh, yeah, that was a, that was a great one. And you, so basically, you you were commenting on part seven and part eight on Jason's look. Uh, what's your take on I the whole part? I think part seven has eight? his best look by far. Uh, there's mm-hmm. not just Kane Hodder's physique and the way like, his body language, but just his overall look. Yeah. Like, I believe that that dude had been at the bottom of that lake for 10 years. Uh, yeah. That shot of him rising out of the lake and, you know, you can see, like, I, think, I think bones are protruding. Like, yeah. Backs yeah, 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 just, yeah, yeah. Just that fine detail because, um, yeah, John Carl Beekler, is that his name? The guy that directed it? Yeah, 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 yeah. I, I could tell as soon as I saw that, it's like, okay, this movie has some serious talent behind it. Even the death scenes... Everything just looks so real, and Jason's look, that was just incredible. His look is yeah. hot. <laughs> um, Kane Hodder is still great, but my least favorite scene in the entire franchise is his unmasking scene. I, oh, yeah, and even the childhood re- regression, there was just like, oh, no, 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 no. If I could list a bunch of unintentionally hilarious horror moments that have made me laugh, that would be in the top five, easily. It, it was just, it was the yeah. screams, and I think he was, like, vomiting, I think he yeah. had like, ooze or something before they shot that, yeah. so I, I know that was real, like, Kane Hodder was really vomiting on cue in that scene, Yeah, but, um... Oh man, that was I. I didn't even remember that. And it's just yeah, the the screams. It, it sounded like something out of like a Looney Tunes cartoon. Yeah, oh, it, was, it was incredible. No, you're absolutely right. Then I think um, I think it all fits into a grand, like a, a bigger message, which was 1989 really signed the death warrant for uh, all the movies, all the all the horror franchises. I think uh, Nightmare on Elm Street Part Five clearly like people don't really like Freddy's Dead. I think it's it's way better than Part Five, uh, The Dream Child. Um, even Halloween Five, yeah, Halloween Five. You, you, you as uh, I know it's your, your favorite f- franchise, and um, I think Part Four. I just realized all the trash that's been talked about Part Four because I like the movie, right? But the whole mask, oh, it's a cheap knockoff, and it looks like somebody just poked holes in a glove or something like that. 
But uh, Part 4 was really effective in bringing and revitalizing the franchise that's been dormant for almost seven years. And then you have Part 5 that really undoes everything, right? I, I, have, I recall watching Part 5, Halloween 5, The Revenge of Michael Myers, but it's... I, I really have no rec I know I've seen it. I have no recollection of anything in particular other than the early sequence the or one the, the opening sequence. Halloween, and I will say this about Friday the Thirteenth is there's never been there is continuity in the Friday the Thirteenth franchise, but of course there are exceptions, especially the later films where they may ignore certain things or. There really is an attempt to, to bridge some of them together, especially Jason Goes to Hell, especially Jason Goes to Hell. Yes. With Halloween 5, one thing that I did notice is this is meant to take place immediately where part 4 ends. And you yeah. can tell immediately where the footage from part 4 stops and where 5 begins, like, um... The color grading is different. It's it's yeah. it's, got a, it's got a yellowish sort of a a very gothic mm -hmm. European horror look to it. The mask is different. Michael is yeah. He's a little taller. Like George Wilbur and Four had to wear like a hockey guard. I think it was and Don yeah, wow. was just naturally built like that. Um, yeah, buff. Yeah, with Five, wow. there, there is no sense in continuity whatsoever with the original three Michael Myers films, it just does its own thing. Mm -hmm. Like, it really just comes wow. in and does its own thing. And, yeah, it, not only that, it commits probably the biggest cardinal sin of the franchise, and I'll say this, this is one thing Resurrection did not do. It <laughs> alters Michael as a character. It he, he goes from being someone who is not meant to really be driven by emotion and suddenly he's mm. angry he's driven by rage he's driven by anger and you know all this stuff and it's it's a oh, very wow. jarring film it's it's a very jarring film to watch um it, and, like, and and obviously they, they they have the expectations right to build up with the whole the man in black uh the, the whole thing right yeah wasn't it, that, it, it that, i don't know if it's called man of, in black yeah that was just sort of thrown in there um because they were writing the scripts as the movie was going along, and mm -hmm. um, pieces just weren't fitting into this, you know, puzzle. And the Man in Black was sort of shoehorned in there to solve these problems in a way. And their issue okay. with that was, um, oh, you know, in terms of the Man in Black, we'll let the people in Part Six explain that. So then it becomes a yeah. domino effect. Part Six has to explain Part Five stuff, and then. All the complications with the I, I, I've never seen, never seen part six. It's... And I know there are two versions. Uh, what would you recommend? Oh, see, I'm in the. I seem to be in the minority in this one because I prefer okay. the theatrical cut. A lot of people mm -hmm. prefer the producer's cut. I, I think it adds more context to the film because um, the theatrical version is very heavily cut and there are gaping plot holes that are explained in the producer's cut. Uh-huh. But mm -hmm. I just think, especially the ending, because the ending sequence, I think it's like a 20 to 30 minute sequence that is oh, wow. completely different to the producer's cut. Like, they, I think they reshot the entire ending. 
Oh, wow. I, I think there's one shot in the original ending that appears in the theatrical cut. But, yeah, it's it's an interesting film. I, I will say this about Part 6 as well. Uh, the atmosphere is really, really good. Like Michael's mm. back to being, you know, scary Michael. and you know, There's a lot of blue tints and, you know, fog and all that stuff. Um, mm. Parking back to sort of like a John Carpenter vibe and the vibe that they gave off. Okay. So it looks good. It's just the script is terrible. So... Yeah. Wow. Well, yeah. Take the good. Take the good and the bad. And I, I, I mean, as you were talking about it, I was thinking of this. Uh, well, they hoped to start a franchise, but uh, thankfully it didn't. Shocker. Wes Craven's Shocker, 1989. I'm working right? my way to. Oh uh, uh, yeah. Okay. So I won't. I won't cover that. I, I would say that. Listen, it, it has. The MTV vibe, and uh, and it's still relevant, like with the Dudes of Wrath, which was a super group formed with uh, Paul Stanley and Jim Simmons from Kiss, and uh, I don't recall who else was in it. Uh, I'll take a look, but um, it, it, it it's quite good. They like it was pretty much, um, you know, the that show Futurama. Mm, I love right. Futurama. Yes. Yeah, so so Wender, when he says, it's like Wes Craven saying, you don't want me in the uh, Nightmare on Elm Street franchise? Fine, I'll create my own franchise with Blackjack and hookers. Actually, forget the franchise. Uh, right? So it's pretty much it. No, that's um, not a <laughs> yeah, and basically, oh yeah, shit, oh look, it has, so the, the Dudes of Wrath, they were like a super group formed to shock, to record two songs, two tracks, and it's a super group with Paul Stanley and Desmond Child, um, not Gene Simmons, uh, they had Motley Crue's Tommy Lee and Van Halen's Michael Anthony, wow, and Rudy Sarzo from Whitesnake, so yeah, and it's kind of like, you know, a very... It starts as heavy, but then it evolves into this meatloafy kind of like bat out of hell uh, thing. It, it's nice. It's called uh, Shocker. Yeah, that, that's a title track, and it, it's quite good. But um, whenever you have the chance, maybe we can discuss. Uh, whenever you watch it, we'll discuss Shocker and its merits. Yeah, it's so but, cool uh, you bring it up because I'd be going through a lot of um, <laughs> Wes Craven's. There's this yeah. gap between Nightmare on Elm Street and Scream. I've noticed he's done a lot of films that I had not seen. I've only just watched People Under the Stairs and Ooh. Serpent and the Rainbow for the first time. I, I haven't seen The Serpent and the Rainbow, uh, but I, I love people from uh, the People Under the Stairs. I think the whole Reagan kind of analogy, it's simply amazing. It's very well executed. I don't see the need for a remake, right? No. That's, That's just one movie. I, I think it was prevalent for that particular time. I, yeah. I don't yeah. see how you can remake it. And yeah, there, there's a lot of, um, there is a lot of social commentary going on in that film. Yeah. Like, um, yeah. Particularly with like the African-American community in the late eighties and early nineties. Exactly. So like, you can see this, it's bubbling up to the surface and you know, we go yeah. to Candyman and yeah, it's just, I think yeah. people under the stairs had something to say and hmm. I mean, I, I guess it wouldn't. It wouldn't be out of the realm of possibility that yeah, a remake wouldn't have something to say as well. It's just, would it have the same talent behind it? Would it have the same level of care behind it? It's the same. Yeah. I, I would have the same fears towards it. 
different reasons, but I also am trepidatious about this film coming out, Screen 5. Just because... Uh, yeah. yeah, is, yeah. Uh, are the directors going to have the same flavor as Wes Craven? Are they going to do their own thing? Is it going to have the same love and care that the other films had? People Under the Stairs is just so good. Like, it's just, it's such a fun thing. Yeah. Like, you can see everyone, apparently the woman um, that played Nadine from Twin Peaks, I, I forget her name. Apparently yes, she said People Under uh, the Stairs was like the most, one of the most fun films she's ever made. And you can see it. Like, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, now that you mention it, both uh, Ed and Nadine from Twin Peaks, they were cast on the people from Under Stairs because Wes Craven saw their performance in David Lynch's uh, Twin Peaks, which, again, I see that you have there as uh, in your background. I see Laura Palmer uh, over there, and I'm a, I'm a massive fan. I just watched um, the Fire Walk With Me for the first time last year because I, although I'm a fan, I try to stay away from it. And, you know, I started to watch the show in 2006, uh, on DVD and people at the time the consensus was don't watch the movie but uh, now with the return and everything it changed a bit so I would have to say yeah the people from under the stairs is great and Wes Craven really started to do his own thing especially between um, um, like after his involvement in Nightmare on Elm Street 3 uh, and uh, his return to the franchise in 94 I would say that also a deadly fr deadly friend was was a good one. It's uh it's a weird movie, but you've seen that one. Uh, I only know because of the basketball death. The basketball, yeah. Well, it's uh it, it's a good one. It's uh, more of a sentimental Wes Craven that you don't often see. Um, but you're absolutely right. This is all about like how there was, like, the slashers were going out of fashion, and you still see a couple of them, like, Giggles or Dr. Giggles, I don't recall how it was, like, uh, the, the title of that movie, but there's one about, like, this crazy doctor, uh, I think it was Giggles or something like that, but it, movies were no longer performing, right? Um, so yeah, these movies were no longer performing, Dr. Giggles, yeah, that's the one. Candyman, and... I think you had a few here, yeah. there, but like they just weren't as persistent as they were in the eighties. And yeah, like your average slasher yeah. film, like say your your average Friday Hell Hellraiser, yeah, just something like that. It just wasn't. We, they just had enough. Like so many had been made, but yeah, there was just this fatigue. Yeah, it's like we're good. We're good. We've had enough. And, yeah, and and pretty much like Saw. It was bound for a final chapter, right? And that's what is exactly what we got with Friday the 13th. Well, or so we thought, in 1993. And I think the idea of getting Sean Cunningham, who, again, I think his movies... Was it uh, Dip Star 6? Yeah, that one. The crappy, uh, avid, uh, uh, crappy underwater movie. Um, I think seeing Sean as Cunningham return was... Wow, this is going to be great. I've... In preparation for this... Um, this episode, I actually read a bit about um, part nine and how the like the original concept and what they wanted to do, and it was a bit too artsy. Um, I think it's I think it's a movie that kind of works, and um, I mean Jessica's a bit bland. It's a three out of five out of me for me, but I think it kind of works with the whole. Uh, let's try and close and wrap this up. And, I mean, it's not properly executed. I think the whole thing of, like, Jason transferring from body to body was a bit... defeats the purpose of what Jason is and was. 
But again, it was also the first time we got to see a bit more of the Voorhees family, right? And I know Elias was teased in part six in the, the novel that he was actually part of uh, part of the plot and they tried to make Elias, he went from his father then to his brother and he never made it to the screen. So I think part nine did some things right. I think, uh, especially that opening sequence. And again, my favorite death on this one is Jason being shot by the SWAT team. Uh, it's brutal. And um, But yeah, I think overall it was kind of like too, too little too late. What are your thoughts on part nine? I agree with that, that last part. Um, I think part nine has a lot of really good ideas. I just, mm -hmm. I think this is so late in the game that we're, re we're introducing a lot of things like Jason having a sister and then a niece yeah. who also has a child. Immediately, as soon as I saw that, I went... Halloween and Friday the 13th do seem to borrow a lot from each other. So I thought, <laughs> uh, okay, okay, I'll take that. Um, yeah. Uh, the whole Creighton Duke thing, I, I, I get it. That was meant to be Tommy Jarvis. I, I, I get why he's there. I think he's a great character. I love the actor that plays him. Um, I do kind of wish he was in on the action a lot more. Uh, the thing is, with this movie, I should lay some context to it. Um, out here in Australia, the DVD that we got, and we haven't had a Blu-ray of it out here yet, we got the heavily censored version. So oh. for years, like it's cut down to basically nothing. So for years and years, that was the only version of the movie that I saw. And um, watching the film today... I have seen the uncut version for the first time like as of today. And the difference is huge. Um, it's night and day. Uh, the mm. one thing I do love about this movie is it's fucking insane. Just that whole yeah. opening sequence alone. It That whole opening sequence really did give you that sense of the movie is in on like the humor with you. Like it sets it up with, you know, oh, a woman going out, you know, to camp. And basically the first thing that happens is as soon as she gets there, you know, the light goes out, she's going to fix that. Immediately goes upstairs, disrobes. And then Jason mm -hmm. comes out and tries to kill her. And then, yeah, out of the fucking blue, like the FBI shows up and blows Jason to shit. Like I, I remember distinctly seeing that for the first time and just going, that was really cool. And then it hit me right after that. Wait, so what's going to happen for the rest of the movie? <laughs> yeah. And then yeah, in the next scene, the coroner is eating his heart, and yeah, he becomes Jason, and the body swapping happened. And at that time, I, I, I was ten when I saw this. Um, at that time, I didn't like the movie because it was too different. It wasn't like part five where it strayed a little bit off course. Like this thing, Jason Goes to Hell goes way off course. It, mm. it, it's almost like it exists in a different universe. And I know I've heard this at some point. I'm certain this was a director's statement. Is I, I heard that this only counts the first three Fridays. So... Mm continuity wise I'm not too sure where it fits in but that's where I've 
come to love it because it is its own thing and it's i i do think it's very unique like i the whole body swapping thing i've just come to accept it's like okay we're doing this i'll just take whatever i can get out of this movie and it's just crazy it's just a crazy like the action sequences like the shootout in the diner and the whole the Mm. whole throwback to um terminator where you know jason just walks in and massacres all those police officers and Mm -hmm. it's almost it's almost bordering on an action movie at times yeah and then yeah there's that whole ending like the showdown at the Voorhees house and uh there's the book of the dead there from the evil dead yeah the evil dead which and the crate from uh, creep show Yes, yeah, yeah. and uh, apparently Jason's meant to be a deadite. Like, that's the whole yeah. thing with Jason Goes to Hell is um, it, it does try to explain why Jason is the way that he is. And I know that's something that Marcus himself confessed that he was always frustrated with, with the movies, that they never explained Jason and his process and like, why he is the way he is. I've always yeah. loved that. And that was one reason I disliked Halloween 5 and 6 um, for explaining why Michael did what he did. And Freddy's dead for explaining why Freddy did what he did. And yeah, we're yeah. doing it again with Jason Goes to Hell. And you know, now I'm at a point where this film is so unique in the franchise that it's almost like it's its own yeah. end. So even though, as I was yeah. watching it today, it's like, you know what? For what it is, I I do enjoy this one. The the gore is on. Yeah, well, yeah. Like that scene, yeah, where the, dude, yeah. the dude's melting. Oh, yeah. I, I was gagging. I, I couldn't believe how good that looked. Uh, th- that's that's one that I uh, I need to revisit um, because again I watched it and I think yeah it's 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 good. Uh, but it was like you said, so far off from what we were used to seeing with under the Friday Thirteenth banner that uh, it just I don't know it just felt odd. We we move on to the final two entries, and I mean I have to say in two thousand and nine I was really excited. It was the first time I was going to the movies to see a Friday the Thirteenth movie, so uh, obviously that inflates my opinion with Jason X. I recall seeing it like in, at the rental store, the, the the cover space. But I also recalled a Mad TV sketch, where there are a couple of astronauts. Uh, also, like part nine, yeah, it was meant to be set in L.A. with the two rival gangs and whatnot. But after the fiasco of part eight, they didn't take it there. Part ten, it's actually I I don't know that they had the whole like Jason X. Uh, there was a sketch on Mad TV about Jason uh, Friday the Thirteenth Part uh, Ten or whatever. Jason takes NASA, and it was set aboard uh, like a spaceship, and it, I think it's on YouTube. It's just like uh, you know your average uh, 1980s slasher template but with Jason like floating around and like a head floating around and whatnot, and I think. Maybe that sketch put me off uh, Jason X, and I know it has a cameo by David Cronenberg, whose movies I really enjoy, and uh, also that iconic uh, nitrogen like freezing scene uh, and death scene and now the, the sleeping bags. But I'm going to let you take the lead on Jason X, because I don't know, is it 
is it just me then I should really like climb down my high horse and watch the movie or <laughs> uh, I wouldn't go that far um, it's the same as it's the same principle as Jason goes to hell where this thing goes way off course yeah now we're at the point where it's just like you know what fuck it let's just do whatever you know Jason in space we haven't done that we've done we've done telekinesis we you know had Jason going to hell you know what else haven't we done and I know John Carpenter at some point um, pitched Michael going to space when they were first developing Halloween 4. So yeah. I, I don't know if that had any influence on this movie, but um, this was the one that I remember even before I had gotten into horror films. Um, it played on TV a lot out here. So oh, really? as, as kids, you know, um, in school, I would hear about this movie a lot. And I would hear in particular about um, the death scene where he freezes the woman's head and uh, bashes yeah. it against um, yeah, the, the bench. Yeah, the table. Yeah, yeah, the yeah. bench. And this was the one I heard a lot about. And it, because it was so um, distinguished as a Friday the 13th movie, uh, mm-hmm. it, it's, it sort of became a favorite amongst like, people of my demographic. So... Mm-hmm. Uh, in hindsight, now that I've seen these movies, uh, how would I rate it? Honestly, I, I'd probably give it like a 2.5, maybe like a 2. Mm. I'm somewhere in that yeah. category just because I could have accepted the Jason going to space thing. It's just, I, I don't know, it's very bland in certain areas. Mm. Um, Kane Hodder is still great as Jason, and you know when he gets that upgrade to you know Uber Jason, when we see him for the first Uber Jason, that's that's chilling. Like just just the imagery and like the the red eyes, you know, it's it's such a great shot. Um, I think Rowan, um, I'm not sure what the lead actress's name is. I, I thought she was a really good lead. She's very underutilized. Um, how are the characters? The rest of them are very forgettable. <laughs> Basically, it's just your average Friday the Thirteenth flick. Um, you know, a bunch of people mm. introduced, and then as quick as they're introduced, you know, they killed off. Uh, hmm. is there anything that stands out with this movie? I think my favorite kill out of it would definitely be, um, yeah, the girl that gets frozen, like, and, you know, head yeah. the table. Mm. Like, that no. yeah, yeah. really just stands out. I don't know, it's just, it's just a very forgettable entry. Um, I know they, I know they've done yeah. a few of these in space, like, I know Hellraiser, was in space. Oh, uh, yeah, I've, I've heard. Yeah, Leprechaun was in space at some point. Uh, yeah. There were rumors that Chucky's going to space. So it's, it's nothing new. Well, ch- um, ch- 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 Chucky's been... Uh, I think he overstayed his welcome, and I haven't seen the remake, but... Uh, yeah. Um, that Chucky thing was just... Um, my best friend, God Lover, paid for my ticket, and this oh. is when she was just getting into horror movies, and... I had no interest in okay. seeing this. She wanted to see it, and I sat there just cringing throughout the entire movie. Um, Chucky in that film, you know, uh, he 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 inhabits uh, you know people's attitudes and um, you know the way that they speak. Yeah. Uh, like at one point, Andy um, he, he sees Andy and his friends. Um, I don't know what happens, but one of them makes a comment. You know, oh, this is for Tupac. And then later on, mm. when Chucky is killing someone, he proclaims, this is for Tupac, and then stabs the person. That was when I went, oh, I fucking hate this movie. 
Wow. And I was seated the entire I mean, time, just like with a grin on my face. She's like, oh, are you are you liking yeah. it? It's like, yeah, it's good. I'm really enjoying myself. <laughs> Thank you for inviting me. So every time it's more yeah. of a conversation, I have to quickly remember, remember, you like this movie. <laughs> Wow, I mean, uh, I, I think that they lost me when he became a father and uh, his child didn't want to kill. Uh, but I want to, Daddy. That was my first one. Uh, no. I, uh, when he got married, fine, but uh, Chucky Five was the one that, that killed it for me. And I mean, uh, speaking of like first movie first, I was already like into the franchise by 2003, like probably have seen until part six. And that's when Freddy vs. Jason came out. And I mean, I'm, I'm sad that they didn't keep Kane Hodder and Ken Kersinger was, was brought on board. Um, and I mean, I don't know, it was, it was okay. Um, I had high hopes for that movie, but again, it wasn't... They weren't relevant anymore, right? I think when uh, Freddy vs. Jason. Jason was released. I just feel like there was such a lot of missed opportunities with that movie. And yeah, I, I understand why they got Ronnie Yu to direct it because, you know, he directed Bride of Chucky and that pretty much reinvented a franchise yeah. that was dead. So it's like, okay, yeah. he did that, so maybe he can do it here. You know, we've got two franchises that have been dormant for a while. You know, I'm sure he can do something with it. But the one standout in the movie for me, and I was really angry that she wasn't front and center as the lead, um, Catherine Isabel. From Ginger Snaps, mm. as Gid, like, mm-hmm. she's really good. Like, with the little time that she has, she's really like, she's funny, and you know when she's running from Freddy, like, she's terrified, and just, she's just a very very good actress, and just really underutilized here. And I understand that she mm-hmm. didn't have a pleasant experience making it. But apparently, her and the director hmm. were very you know, classed. Head, yeah. yeah, and Kelly Rowland from Destiny's Child. I didn't remember her oh, in yeah. this movie. Like, when I saw her on screen, I went, is that? No, it, it can't be. I forgot that this was wow. the era where they were, like, getting musicians into, like, horror movies. Buster Rhymes! Um, sorry, I had something. <laughs> no. I was going to go LL Cool J, but I thought I was setting myself up. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, yeah, yeah. LL Cool J, that's right. He he was there before, yeah. Yeah, and Brandy. And that's I right. did last summer. Mm-hmm. She was mm-hmm. really good in that. I absolutely, she was really good in that movie. I, I liked it. Uh, I, I liked. I know what you did uh, last summer, but again, I think th- it, it's funny you mentioned that because after Scream and I know what you did last summer uh, were hits in the mid to late nineties. They kind of like okay. There's room for uh, revisiting these the horror franchises of the past, but yeah, I mean. They they never really took took off, and I think uh, Freddy vs. Jason. I agree with you. There were a lot of missed opportunities. I enjoyed seeing it. Some nods to past entries, but um, I mean, it was ultimately and sadly forgettable for me. Which I mean brings us to I guess the last movie of the the franchise, and it sits up there with the Nightmare on Elm Street remake and the Halloween remake not the 2018 one but the rob zombie version and i mean the 2009 reboot it was it was good because i saw it on the screen on the big screen for the first time and it was jay and it was uh, jason and it was 
it was okay. Yeah. Like, I'm not gonna... Uh, if you dis discount like this, oh, I'm seeing, like, this franchise for the first time in the big screen, it was great, but uh, other than that, it's pretty much a by-the-numbers kind of a take on the franchise. One thing I did notice about it, because um, uh, I just finished it maybe 20 minutes before I joined this podcast. Before the... <laughs> yeah, and one thing I did notice is it seems to be very much the first four movies sort of meshed into one with a little bit of wrong yeah. turn thrown in there. I noticed there were a few wrong turn references. Mm. Uh, I, mm -hmm. I didn't mind it. And I remember with this movie, um, there were two remakes coming out that year that I wanted to see. Uh, My Bloody Valentine and Friday the 13th. Mm -hmm. What happened was we got the hard R rating out. Movies very rarely get rated R out here. It's very rare. These both mm -hmm. got rated R, which meant I had no way of getting into the theater to see it. And oh, wow. yeah, so I had to wait until they were on DVD and I got them both at the same time. And oddly enough, the one I was looking forward to, My Bloody Valentine, I didn't really care for it. This one I did enjoy. At that time, I wasn't huge on Friday the 13th. So maybe I just, I read them for whatever reason, because it was contemporary and it was new and you know, probably a whole mm -hmm. barrage of reasons that I don't even remember. But now <laughs> that I've seen it again, it's not bad. It, it probably sits just above part eight for me. I would probably yeah. be game enough to admit it sits just below Jason Goes to Hell for me. I, I, I yeah. found myself, it wasn't that I didn't enjoy it. It was just, yeah, I felt we're very much treading on familiar territory here. Yeah. I thought the acting and was really good. And I mean... Uh, um, Danielle Panabay. Yeah. She was surprisingly really good i got to say this. I forgot that she died in this film. <laughs> when she got that machete through the chest, I actually jumped back and gasped. Because oh, wow. this is my favorite character in the movie. And I'm thinking, <laughs> I had forgotten the golden rule at this point. It's like, anyone can die. I thought the sister died. Yeah. So that, oh, yeah, yeah, that yeah. caught me by surprise. That whole third act sequence in particular um, in the tunnels, that was really intense. Like, I wish a lot more yes. of the movie had been... When you see the original ideas that they're utilizing, they're really, really good. It's just when they mm -hmm. they harken back on the other films that we've seen, like when they fall back on them a little too much, that's when it's like, oh, they've been here, yeah. they've done that. Yeah, I, I, I'm with you there. I think, like, in terms of execution and adding, acting was... It, it, it was good from what I remember. It was, um, and yeah, th there was the atmosphere of the, uh, I don't know, reminiscent of the the Camp Crystal Lake reality of the 80s. Uh, but again, I think that for the fans, it was, okay, this is just like a recap of part one to four. And for the non-fans, it was pretty much, oh, just like a slasher, like we, we like Scream better right mm. so that's why probably scream 4 was more well i wouldn't say more successful but maybe better welcomed because it had it as own like still the same demographic like people who grew up with scream were willing to see it whereas probably when my father was 20 that's when when the friday the 13th movies came out he was he was not going to be dragged to the movies to see part uh, a reboot um that being said i mean um 
I think that the wrap-up question is, where do we go from here, right? What would you like to see as a, as a slasher fan, as a horror movie fan? Like, if there were another movie, what, what direction would you like for the director and the producers to take Jason and the whole franchise? Ooh, this is a good one. <laughs> they just, they've done so much. It's like, what? Do you know what? I I have to fall on Halloween 2018 for this one. Mm-hmm. Oh, very good one, yeah. Yeah, it, it was basically, okay, we're going to go back a little bit in time. We're going to jump from a certain point and we're just going to do something a little bit different. We're going to do something new and fresh and something that we haven't done yet. I'd like to see that with Friday the 15th. True. Like, I would really enjoy seeing... I would really want to Ginny see... Ginny or Tommy? Yeah, I, I would love to revisit, you know, Tommy or even Ginny or... Just see some familiar faces or... <laughs> on the odd chance that they ever did do this, say they jump back from just part one and they just go from mm-hmm. there. Uh, it would even be cool to see Alice again, you know, what she's been up to all these years. Like, Ginny, preferably, ideally, but... I don't know. I, I guess something we haven't seen before, because one thing I did notice about Friday is, like, like I said, it doesn't take itself too seriously, quite like Halloween does. Yeah. I would really love to see Jason scary. I, I would love to see just a movie where he's just relentless. And, like, he, yeah. He, he is a relentless killer, but... He doesn't. He doesn't really scare me, and maybe he doesn't um, instill that supernatural quality quite like Michael does, where it's yeah, it's almost robotic in a sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, maybe because no. I know that certain people have ideas. Like, um, is it LeBron James that signed on as or wants to sign on as a? Person? Oh yeah, and you yes, know, you've got a yes. lot of people coming out lately with. Um, with ideas for certain movies, like David Gordon Green, like I never expected him to do a Halloween film. Like that would have been the last thing on my mind. Yeah, he directed Pineapple Express, right? Yeah, yeah. I, I never would have expected that, and he delivered a great movie. And you know, you've got Chris Rock, who's just gone and done Spiral, The Book of Saw. Um, apparently, mm-hmm. what oh, yeah, yeah. Was he walked in and pitched an idea, and they just jumped at it. Uh, he just had something that they mm-hmm. hadn't done before and um Stephen King has actually gone on record stating I've got an idea hasn't been done. <laughs> really pretty good yeah and oh wow I think enough time has passed as well that you know somebody somewhere has got something that we've never seen before like, maybe not too, yeah not, not I think too far away from it like um don't do another copycat killer like, like... Quentin Tarantino's uh, idea for Halloween 6. Uh, he apparently had an idea, right? Yeah, no, no, no. It was, like, recently when he was talking about his book or something, he apparently, um, post-pulp fiction, worked on something, like, uh, for Mustafa Akkad, on, uh, like, an idea. I don't know what the, the idea was, um, but, yeah, I read about it. Uh, so, yeah, as a fan, you, you should look into that one. I, I will look into that. Um, for me, I would say that, like, I did watch bits and pieces of that fan-made movie that came out, uh, four years ago or something like that called, uh, Never Hike Alone. Mm. 
And they just did a follow-up to it, didn't they? Oh, I haven't heard of that. Uh, it, it was okay. I mean, I don't think the found footage mashup with Slasher and with Jason would work really well. So for me... Oh, it was found footage, was it? Oh, okay, that, yeah. No, 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 no. I was thinking as a... a, 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 a yeah, no, no, like the Never Hike Alone is... Well, it's a amateur or fan-made, but... Um, yeah, I don't know, like, there were ideas that was circulating around, uh, like, upcoming horror movies and everything about, like, mixing up found footage and Friday the 13th, and I'm like, no, that doesn't, I don't think that's a good idea. Because um, they, they, yeah, no, it's not that kind of uh, property, I would say, but never say never. I mean, I'm, um, yeah. Like, yeah. found footage, like, the reason, like, Blair Witch and, um, Wreck and, you know, all those films work so well is... Yeah. They rely so much on what you don't see. And, yeah, like, mm. <laughs> Halloween and yeah, Friday the 13th, yeah, they're about as, you know, subtle as a sledgehammer to the face, so... Mm -hmm. I guess it would be difficult, but I, I'm sure someone out there could pull it off, you know, it, it'd be very unique. It'd be a very bold idea to do so yeah I, I agree with that you know never say never yeah I'll be interested. well i'd end up going to see it it would be no 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 probably at home but um let's see <laughs> liam that's pretty much it um thank you once again for agreeing to to be a guest on this episode and uh hopefully we'll uh record a sequel once the new two halloween movies come out halloween kills and halloween ends Happy to discuss oh, that with yeah, you. Man. Yeah, I'm in.